Radio.com. It is Tuesday, the 18th of July. It's the Feast of St. Camillus Delellis. Uh, let's pray a prayer for his intercession this morning in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Most merciful Father, in many ways you have shown your love and care to your people, especially to the poor and the sick. Because your servant St. Camillus has shown your compassion in an admirable manner, you have welcomed him among your saints. We graciously put in St. Camillus's hands ourselves and our loved ones. And through his intercession, we beg you to grant us your abundant graces through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. St. Camillus Delellis pray for us. I like him for so many reasons, and not just because his name is really fun to say. St. Camillus has got a fascinating story that we'll hopefully get into as the morning continues. I'm Matt Swain, Anna Mitchell has news, Paul Lockman at the controls, and up this hour, Danielle Bean is going to join us here on the Sunrise Morning Show to talk about the challenges of work-at-home momdom. Maybe some of you work-at-home dads can take some tips from Danielle's conversation as well. Marlon De La Torre joins us from knowingisdoing.org. Mike Aquilina from Fathers of the Church will be along as well. Also, Joseph Pierce, who's been walking us through English Catholic history, will discuss the dissolution of the monasteries and how Henry VIII, well, he uh, he did away with them, seized them, took the money, took everything. So we'll talk about that. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. A blistering heat wave being felt across the southwest is showing no signs of letting up. Phoenix exceeded 110 degrees yesterday for a record-tying 18th consecutive day. Temperatures of at least 115 degrees are in the forecast for the next several days. Meantime, tens of millions of Americans across several states are under heat advisories, including California and Nevada. Forecasters say record-breaking heat is expected through the middle of the week from Texas to the lower Mississippi Valley. Meanwhile, parts of the country are still experiencing flight delays and cancellations. According to FlightAware, there were more than 8,000 flight delays within, into, or out of the U.S. yesterday. More than 400 flights were canceled. This comes after heavy rain and severe thunderstorms caused many issues for Americans at airports over the weekend. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine continues his mission in the United States today. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. The Archbishop of Bologna and President of the Italian Bishops' Conference is accompanied by an official of the Vatican Secretariat of State. The visit to the U.S. Capitol is taking place from the 17th of July to the 19th and comes on the heels of Cardinal Zuppi's previous visit to Kiev and Moscow. Pope Francis appointed the Italian cardinal as his special envoy in early June, entrusting him with the mission to open paths for dialogue and to seek peace in war-torn Ukraine. The Holy See Press Office statement released on Monday said the purpose of Cardinal Zuppi's visit to Washington is to promote peace in Ukraine. 
The visit seeks to facilitate the exchange of ideas and opinions regarding the current tragic situation, as well as to provide support for humanitarian initiatives aimed at alleviating the suffering of the most vulnerable people, particularly children, according to the statement. Cardinal Zuppi visited the Ukrainian capital Kiev on the 5th and 6th of June, where he met with President Volodymyr Zelensky and several other high-level officials. The Cardinal then travelled to Moscow on the 28th to the 30th of June, where he met with the Foreign Policy Representative and Russia's Children's Rights Commissioner. Cardinal Zuppi also met with Patriarch Kirill of Moscow and All Russia and discussed humanitarian initiatives that could foster peace in Ukraine. Speaking after the visit of Moscow, Cardinal Zuppi said the priority is to work for those who are most disadvantaged. The children must be able to return to Ukraine, he told reporters. Thus, the next step will be first to check on the children and then to see how to get them back, starting with the most fragile ones. Upon returning from his mission to Kiev and Moscow, Cardinal Zuppi met with Pope Francis to update him on the results of his peace mission in the Pope's name. I'm Francesca Merlo. Meanwhile, the White House is condemning Russia's decision to pull out of a grain deal with Ukraine. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby called the move dangerous, arguing it will exacerbate food scarcity and harm millions of vulnerable people around the world. The Black Sea Grain Initiative allows Ukrainian agricultural products to pass through the Black Sea without Russian interference. Ukraine supplies 10 percent of the world's wheat market. Israeli President Isaac Herzog is headed to Washington for a meeting today with President Biden. He'll also be addressing a joint meeting of Congress. The visit comes as Biden yesterday invited Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to the U.S. for an official visit later this year. The Patriarch of Baghdad has announced that he's moving to Kurdistan. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins has more. Cardinal Luis Rafael Sacco, the Patriarch of Babylonia of the Chaldeans, has publicly announced his intention to retire from his patriarchal see in Baghdad and move to a monastery in Iraqi Kurdistan. His announcement follows the decision made by the President of Iraq to revoke a decree passed in 2013 recognizing Cardinal Sacco as Patriarch of the Chaldean Church. The revocation is unprecedented in Iraq's history, the Cardinal stressed, and highlighted the government's silence about the incident and the suffering of the Iraqi Christian community. I'm Devin Watkins. Federal Reserve is apparently eyeing another interest rate hike in September. A July rate hike has been taken for granted for some time, but the Fed's decision for a September raise is not yet clear. The committee will have a chance to analyze new inflation data before a September decision is made. Raising interest rates is thought to be the best way to combat inflation, but it also makes it more expensive to finance a house or a car. And an Australian man and his dog are safe after spending three months adrift at sea. Timothy Shaddock and his dog Bella were rescued in the Pacific by a Mexican tuna boat. The pair were apparently in rather rough shape when they were found, but were given food, water, and medical attention. They're expected to arrive in Mexico sometime today. Shaddock had said he had been surviving on rainwater and raw fish after a storm severely damaged his vessel en route to French Polynesia. Wow. So from Australia to French Polynesia, and they found them off the coast of Mexico? Closer to Mexico, yeah closer to Mexico. Wow. That's uh The fact that he managed to keep his dog alive is 
incredible to me. I mean, I th- I feel like that's uh, that's a that's a buddy film waiting to happen. Oh yeah, no doubt this will be a movie. Man, well I'm glad that, glad he's yeah I'm glad he's glad okay. Both safe. Three months. That's a long time. I don't think he's ever gonna eat fish again. That's a lot of sushi. Yeah, Ugh. a lot. Wow, wow. Well, he's probably ready for some like mac and cheese or something. I would I think. Know. <laughs> Get that man your Get best that Mexican man food some lasagna. Right now. Yes. Get him some tacos. Just not fish Goodness tacos. Gracious. As good as fish exactly. tacos are. Yes, indeed. I think that they're probably not as good after an ordeal like yeah. that. Some beef or chicken tacos. Or what is it you like, Matt? Carnitas? I like carnitas. I like the, the, the burrilla tacos with the consomme that you nice. dip the taco in. Are they nice. like fried tacos? Yeah. Get him oh, yeah. some of those. Good stuff good stuff. Today is Tuesday, July the 18th. So happy to have you along with us on this feast of St. Camillus Delilis. Pray for us. It's nine past. Danielle Bean back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Connect with her, invite her to speak through her site, daniellebean.com. Listen to her girlfriend's podcast through ascensionpress.com. Join the community at girlfriendscommunity.com. Danielle, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Always glad to talk with you. I am always glad to be talking to you. And today we are going to be talking about WAMs, or is it WAMs? What are they? WAMs. I think WAMs. I like, I like well, WAMs. I'm an 80s kid, you know, so I love <laughs> WAM. <laughs> I like pretending I'm a WAM. Yeah. What's a WAM, Danielle? <laughs> Work at home mom. And that's something, like it or not, I've been on and off in all different ways, capacities, different varying degrees throughout many years of motherhood. So... For sure, something I've given a lot of thought to through the years. Yeah. Can we, first of all, get over the mom wars here? Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a work-at-home mom, or a work-outside-the-home mom, or if you're like me, you're kind of a combination of all three. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. That's such an old-fashioned idea. You know what? If someone's bringing up mommy wars to you, just say, okay, boomer, and just move on, you know, because <laughs> they're seriously, that's not something that's relevant in today's world. Like, that, people are, are doing the best they can, and there's all different creative ways of figuring out how to pay the bills as a family. We don't need to politicize this. And out of um, our own insecurity, sometimes there's that temptation to think there's one right way, and we are, in fact, doing it. Absolutely not true. So let's just forget that. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so work at home moms, whams. What are the unique challenges that come with this kind of life? Yeah, so I think it's really important to recognize that this is a challenge, right? Because just pretending it can all come together smoothly, you know, you're you're going to head toward disaster. That this is a unique thing to try to balance work and home life from home or whatever way that you're doing it, you know, these these different roles that we're playing. And, you know, I think that one of the challenges that I've recognized is that when you're working from home, like you always can be working and you can always be not working. There's Mm -hmm. always like something in your home that's calling for your attention. There's always something from your work that's calling for your attention. In the end, we can wind up feeling pulled in multiple directions in an extreme way. And so I think being a little bit, you know, thinking about it ahead of time and taking action to kind of combat that ahead of time is really key toward balance and happiness if you're going to be working from home. Yeah, exactly. Because you have obligations to both, right? If you Mm -hmm. are, are working for a paycheck for this or that company, you owe them work in exchange for that. But you also owe your family 
your motherhood. I mean, this is a matter of justice in both ways. So um, boundaries, Mm -hmm. I think boundaries is a good word here. That is a very good word. And you really have to think that way because, you know, if you're going into an office every day, then, you know, when you're in the office, you've got your office hat on and you're focused on that work. And if you're at home, you've got your home hat on and they're focused on that work. And, you know, there are a lot of ways that modern technology has kind of even compromised that relationship, even for people who do work in an office, because you can always be connected to the office through your smartphone. So recognizing that, that you need to have these boundaries, you need to recognize both our priorities. Um, You do owe both your time and your energy and your attention, but figuring out a way that you can do that, um, that makes sense and is fair to both of those different obligations is the key. Okay, so uh, what are some of your tips for working from home? So one of the first things I really encourage people to do is to have a, a dedicated space for it. And this can be challenging, right? Maybe you live in a small house with a big family, but mm-hmm. at least having a corner somewhere. If you don't have, like, the perfect office space, but if you do, that's great. You know, having that, that kind of space where you are, when you're working, you're in that space. But, you know, even if it's just a, a certain part of your dining room table or a corner of your bedroom where you have your work things, where you keep your laptop, where you keep your papers that you need for work, just, you know, It helps you mentally that when you're in that space, you know that this is where I'm working. But it also helps you in a very physical way because the things that you need for your work are going to be all in one place. So it helps you to stay organized and on top of things in that way. And uh, what is the the phone problem here? (laughs) Yeah, I already mentioned smartphones. It's a little bit problematic because you always have access to your workplace and your workplace always has access to you. Um, But in either way, whether you're focused on working at home at this moment or you're focused on working for your employer at this moment, putting your phone away can be such a boon to your work because it's a distraction. You know, there's a million things calling for your attention, all these little notifications going off on your phone, and some of them are important and some of them are much less so. Maybe it's a spammy email and your phone is dinging to let you know that it has arrived. Well, you don't need that. So when you're focused on a work project or if you're focused on spending time with your family at home, putting your phone away is a wonderful way to be able to focus, put away distraction, make sure that you're giving your best effort and your your best time and attention and focus on what's truly important, which is the work that God has set before you right now. Yeah, much better boundary there. Can you talk about how uh, keeping lists has helped you? Oh, yeah. We all love our lists, don't we? Like yeah. every year I used to buy a planner and then it, I use it for like the first two weeks of January and then it was just done. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, figure out a, a way that works for you. And sometimes paper lists work. If I have a big project, whether it's a work project or like planning an event at home or something, I like to kind of have a paper list that I'm working from because I can keep it right there on the kitchen counter and I can be consulting it. But then, you know, there are digital ways we can keep lists. And one that I shared in my recent podcast on this topic is having just a to-do list. That's for me, it's a Google Doc that I keep ready access to on my work computer, but also on my home computer so that all of my priorities and the things that I need to do or a little note I need to jot down, it's always in that document and I'm updating it throughout the day. So kind of a nice way for me to consult, you know, what my priorities need to be or things that I need to not forget or even just, you know, on the home sense of things, the number of things that I need to pick up at the store, they might be listed in that document. And I have access to it on my phone. I have access to it on whatever computer I happen to be working on at home. So find a way that works for you. That might not be your solution, but we all have kind of different temperaments and different ways that we prefer to use technology or pen and paper. And 
just find the one that works for you and, and be keeping those kinds of lists because sometimes the most frazzling thing in our lives as you know working women is the fact that we have these constant lists running through our heads. Like get it out of your head and put it down on paper or onto a screen so that you can stop having it running through your mind. Some good advice for whams. Thank you so much, Danielle Bean. You can check out her girlfriend's podcast. Find it through her site, daniellebean.com, which is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Go check out our show notes. Click subscribe so you can get all that information linked in your inbox every morning as we go on the air. And also, I might uh, recommend downloading the Sunrise Morning Show app. You can listen to all three hours of the show and all of the great programming that you hear on Catholic Radio right there on your smartphone. S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. Coming up on 17 Past, we're back with headlines right after this. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. I used to wonder if God really cared, why it mattered what church I went to, or why I even bothered with faith at all. Then I started praying more often and going to church. What happened? My relationships got stronger, and I felt a peace that I never had before. I realized that God in my life was the difference between occasionally being happy and finding lasting joy. If you're looking for something more, check out CatholicsComeHome.com. 18 past. Here's Anna with headlines. A blistering heat wave is be, that's being felt across the southwest is showing no signs of letting up. And meanwhile, other parts of the country are still experiencing flight delays and cancellations because of severe weather. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Secretariat of Child and Youth Protection has released its annual report showing a decline in abuse allegations in 2022 and the pope's special envoy for peace in ukraine continues his mission in the united states today news at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the sunrise morning show uh anna mitchell there's a lot of great convert saints in the month of july and mm-hmm. today is one of my favorites so i mentioned at the beginning of the hour saint camillus de Lellis is like one of my favorite saint names to say well yeah kind of, of course 
got a How flow can it to not it. be? Um, but Saint Camille has got a wild, uh, wild story. So he was six foot six, and uh, physically strong and powerful. So he found easy work as a mercenary mm-hmm. for various armies of various kingdoms in Italy. Uh, but unfortunately, he was not very wise with that money. He was a gambling addict, <laughs> and wow. so. He lost all his money uh, and found himself destitute. And so he was looking for work and found a construction job at a Capuchin monastery. And the monks basically converted him. That's incredible. So he wanted to join them. And they're like, yeah, you're too old. So (laughs) uh, he decided to found his own religious order, uh, caring for the sick. And so today that order continues to carry out the vision of St. Camillus throughout the world, uh, caring for the sick. Known as the Camillians. Yeah, which as is in, a pretty the, awesome name, right? But not the chameleons, right? Chameleons because they only one, wear one color of habit, so far as I know. Yeah. Also, <laughs> feast of Saint Frederick, Bono, Bono Nomastico to Freddy. It's twenty-one past season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. By underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Sacred Heartbeat. One of the titles given to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is Burning Furnace of Charity. Who can purify the human heart? Who can change our selfish love into a selfless love? The answer to both these questions is Jesus Christ. Christ's love for all people is intense and passionate. He desires to purify our hearts of all those things that prevent us from truly receiving God's grace. The mystics have described the heart of Jesus as a burning furnace which destroys sin. God puts nothing in the path of his love for us, but we put many things in the way of our love for God. By giving our hearts and souls and minds and bodies over to the Lord, we're asking him to remake us over into his image, not ours. Let us not be afraid to enter into the furnace of God's love. It's the only way that we will ever know Christ better. Heart of Jesus, burning furnace of charity, pray for us. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. We're always glad that you're along, wherever you happen to be listening from across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network on apps and local radio stations and the like. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Marlon De La Torre from knowingisdoing.org, and he's got a piece at his site called Can the Rule of Faith and the Gospel Coexist? Marlon, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Go Bucks. All right, so some people might wonder, what in the world are you pitting against uh, the other thing? So yeah. when we talk about rules and the gospel, this is a false dichotomy that's out there. Like, 
uh, people mm. who would say that you have to follow the rules to be saved and other people would say, no, it's all Correct. about love and you don't have to worry about the rules. Why do these yeah. things, which are supposed to get to, uh, put together, they're meant to be together, sometimes get separated out? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think we forget that there's a symphony here of faith related to how God prescribes us to behave, how he gives us the, the actual opportunity and the intention to behave, especially after the fall. And then through that, he prescribes, all right, here's what I will do with you. Here's what I want of you. Here's how my message will continue even after you've rejected me. And so from the very beginning, our Lord sets the stage for th- this beautiful relationship or this uh, and this parallel between one, uh, the way we are called to act. So the, the act of faith, our faith has to have some type of guide. There has to be a spiritual baseline of some sort where, where we see the world through the, through the lens of God, God willing. And through, we see it through truth, beauty, and goodness. But through that, if we're able to see that, then we're going to hopefully proclaim it as well. And this is where the gospel, the, the, the message of hope, the message of salvation comes into play, because both are intertwined for the salvation of souls. And the, the, the challenge is people think you can't, you can only really focus on one uh, at the detriment of the other, or the other is going to really sway or impede uh, someone from really being able to proclaim the gospel if you focus on the rule of faith. And really, that's not the way it's been presented. It's not the way God unveils himself in his divine pedagogy, uh, which is basically, I love you so much that I want you to be with me in heaven, and this is the path. And so both really have to work together in tandem in order for us to see the, the full picture of, uh, of our life with him. Well, somebody might say this is kind of hair-splitting, like, why, why are we even having this discussion? Uh, except mm-hmm. I happen to know some people who were involved in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in the 70s, and there mm-hmm. was this thing that happened at Concordia <laughs> Seminary yeah. in the 70s where there was a group of professors and seminarians who were like, we need to focus on the inerrancy of Scripture. And mm-hmm. there was another group who said, we need to focus on the priority of the gospel. And mm-hmm. what that led to was kind of a distinction of, you know, the larger gospel message against the written word of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And they split off the mm-hmm. you know, one group split off and formed the Association of Evangelical Lutheran Churches. The Lutheran mm-hmm. Church, Missouri Synod stuck around and was sort of like in its own camp. We have like mm-hmm. denominations that have divided over yes. not finding the balance in this question. Oh, absolutely. And really, when you look at the proclamation of the gospel, it, it reminds me of my time in Memphis, my eight years there as the uh, director for the diocese, where we, we worked with the Church of Christ in particular and with our Pentecostals. Each had a different understanding of what Scripture was, one from literally the rule of faith or the letter of the law, the other for the rule aspect of, you know what, we have to be sure that they're converted, we have to be sure that they're in love. And so there, there were two factions or facets of how they viewed Scripture. And for us as Catholics at that particular time, we told them, why can't you just do both? Why can't both work? And it really becomes the same point where if you focus on, on the Word of God and you proclaim our Lord and you use Matthew 28, you use the Great Commission, but yet if you don't provide fruit for it, if you don't provide the, uh, uh, the nourishing milk that's a result of sacred Scripture, which is, i.e., the creed, which is doctrine, which is really, this is the way of living. This is how we espouse to really uh, live our life out, sacramentally speaking, but not devoid of the gospel and not devoid of anything other than using the the beauty and the love that's really present to us in sacred scripture, whether you look at 1 John 1, 1 through 4, whether you look at John 15, whether you focus on Exodus 12, all all these particular elements of faith 
are rooted in Scripture to really do focus on both. One is proclaim the Word of God to, to the heavens, and two, live out this beautiful Word. Well, we can see how this sort of plays out just in I mean, regular civic law. I can't just sure. say, I, I, love, I love the United States of America. Why should it matter which side of the road I drive on? <laughs> like, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, that, would be, that would be insane. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I live in you know, Montgomery County, Maryland, which is mm-hmm. known for its many, many, many laws. And there's kind of this That's sense hard. in which we can't trust we can't trust people to just do the right thing, so we have to make more laws, yeah. right? So uh, you can see how the balance can. I mean, if you if you get it out of balance, you get into into all kinds of false dichotomies. Oh, absolutely! It even comes down to the basic premise of, of why we engage in a relationship with another human being. Whether you look at uh, the, the law of the gospel with respect to marriage, in particular, when you look at a husband and a wife. Um, I engage in a company, I sign an agreement, so to speak, uh, I sign one before the eyes of God, that I will adhere to what is required of me as a husband to my wife. Well, that's one. Two, I have to live out that rule of faith, meaning that I have to demonstrate that love to my wife. I want to investigate that love with her more intimately, more deeply. Uh, I want to be nourished uh, by the love that God has given us in the sacrament of holy matrimony. It's not just basically doing what I have to, it's also making sure that I lead her to heaven. And this could be said of, of any sacrament, uh, whether it's the priesthood, whether it's renewing our baptismal promises, whether it's invoking the gifts of the Holy Spirit through confirmation, and ultimately, really, the summit is the Eucharist, the fact that I believe you, but do I love you? And this becomes the key when we're evangelizing and when we're trying to present the faith well, is that it's not just about the rule of knowing, but you also have to really be a spouse to it and fall in love with it as well. Yeah, it's great stuff. Marlon De La Torre, we've got your article, Can the Rule of Faith and the Gospel Coexist? Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Appreciate it, Matt. Go Bucks. And again, check out sunrisemorningshow.com. Find Marlon De La Torre and all of our guests. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. A punishing heat wave being felt across the southwest is showing no signs of letting up. Phoenix hit 110 degrees yesterday for a record-tying 18th consecutive day. Temperatures of at least 115 degrees are in the forecast for the next several days. Tens of millions of Americans, meanwhile, across several states are under heat advisories as well. The Biden administration is defending the Pentagon policy to reimburse travel expenses for service members who travel out of state for abortions. Mark Mayfield has more. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said the policy is critical as one in five members of the military are women. He said it's the right thing to do for Americans who voluntarily decide to serve. Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville has held up military promotions in protest of the policy. The White House says the holds are impacting military readiness. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pro-life leaders are condemning a judge's decision to block Iowa's new heartbeat law from going into effect. A judge granted the request from abortion providers and the ACLU for a temporary injunction just days after it had been signed into law. Governor Kim Reynolds says the state will appeal. Adam Schwent from the Susan B. Anthony list released a statement in the wake of the ruling saying, quote, protections for babies with beating hearts are so important to Iowans. Lawmakers passed them again in a special session called by Governor Reynolds. The Fetal Heartbeat Act was poised to save thousands of lives.
from cruel, painful abortions. He said activist judges must stop interfering on behalf of the radical abortion lobby and respect the will of the people, end quote. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Secretariat of Child and Youth Protection has released its annual report, which shows a decline in abuse allegations in 2022. From Vatican Radio, Eduardo Garibaldi reports. In the document preface, U.S. CCB President Archbishop Timothy Broglio described the document as a milestone, accounting of the continued efforts in the Ministry of Protection, Healing and Accompaniment. Archbishop Broglio underlined how the drafting of the report was made possible thanks to the courage and fortitude of our sisters and brothers who were harmed, abused or molested by a trusted clergy member and who made reports and shared their stories. The document registered a total of 1,998 victim survivors who came forward with 2,704 allegations. A total of 16 reports involved the current minors, while all other allegations were made by adults, alleging events that occurred while they were minors. The report also focused on the ongoing work of the Church in continuing the call to ensure the safety of children and vulnerable adults. Specifically, during 2022, over 2.1 million adults and over 2.9 million children and youth were trained in how to identify the warning signs of abuse and how to report those signs. I am Eduardo Giribaldi. The Patriarch of Baghdad has announced he's moving to Kurdistan. Vatican News reports that Cardinal Louis Sacco has revealed that he will retire from the Patriarchal See in Baghdad and move to a church, a mission, in one of the monasteries of Iraqi Kurdistan. He said so this weekend in the wake of a decision of the President of Iraq to revoke a decree from 2013 recognizing him as the patriarch of the Chaldean Church. Cardinal Sacco said this is unprecedented in Iraq's history. The Food and Drug Administration is giving the go-ahead for a new antibody aimed at protecting children from RSV. Trey Thomas reports. The FDA has okayed the use of the injectable drug by Fortis for at-risk toddlers and infants susceptible to the respiratory illness. It's described as a ready-made antibody that can bind to the virus and stop it from infecting cells. RSV was part of last year's so-called triple-demic, which also included the flu and COVID. I'm Trey Thomas. Israeli President Isaac Herzog is headed to Washington, D.C. for a Tuesday meeting with President Biden. He'll also be addressing a joint session of Congress today. Biden yesterday also invited Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for a later visit. It's 35 past the hour. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some Monk Shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. The Holy Spirit gives us his advice through the words of the Prince of the Apostles. Take great care to use your time well, and make sure of your vocation through good works. This warning must make us live in great fear and humility in whatever state we find ourselves. But at the same time, we must raise our heart to the divine goodness invoking his grace and his help, and keeping our affection fixed on him by means of frequent and fervent ejaculations. Whatever the world considers wonderful is nothing but an illusion, a fantasy, or a lie. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Mike Aquilina from FathersOfTheChurch.com. You can find his Way of the Fathers podcast through CatholicCulture.org. Mike, good morning. Morning, Matt. So today we get to talk about pilgrimage, and pilgrimage is one of those things that uh, it's kind of a fascinating aspect of religion because, you know, so many of us would say, well, religion is something that happens in your soul and in your spirit, and yet there's this human impulse to go to an actual physical place. I wonder if you could maybe unpack that a little bit in the life of Christianity and the origins of that sort of impulse in the human spirit. Well, I think you're right. You know, there's this desire to stand on holy ground. There's this desire to journey toward God. And there are certain places that are associated with God's special presence. And this is true in every religion. Uh, it's, you know, you'll find it in, uh, in Christianity, yes, but also in Judaism, in, in Islam, in, uh, in Hinduism, that there are places that are recognized as sacred and, and people flock there every year to these places um, to, to, to pay homage, to, to, to do worship. Christians actually got the, um, the, the, the habit <laughs> so to speak, from Judaism. And in Judaism, it was a requirement of the law. Three times a year, all Jewish males, uh, uh, Jewish male adults, um, were required by the law to go to Jerusalem on pilgrimage and to offer sacrifice there. And this is stated explicitly in the Torah. Um, uh, so so it was done, you know, and, and uh, they say that the population of Jerusalem uh, at the time of our Lord, used to double every year during the pilgrim feasts. So you can imagine how crowded the city was, but that's how serious the obligation was. Now, pilgrimage has never been an obligation in Christianity, but we find from New Testament times that Christians made pilgrimage. We see St. Paul himself making a pilgrimage for the Feast of Pentecost in the Acts of the Apostles. So Christians were doing it from very early on. We find them doing it all through the time of the fathers. And of course, we still do it today because 
uh, pilgrim tourism today is a multi-billion dollar industry. Well, I know that you've led pilgrimages to uh, Rome. I mean, I know this is one of the things that's really neat for you because it's one thing, and I imagine this is the case for for Christians uh, for time immemorial. It's one thing to hear the word proclaimed, right? It's one thing to open the book and hear about this incredible thing that happened. Uh, But you and I can't go to, to Narnia or Middle Earth. However, we can go to the sites where these saints were yes. martyred and where their remains are. Yes, and this is what sets Christianity apart from many other religions in that its events do not take place in a land long or in a time long long ago uh, and in a land far far away. No, they take place uh in a specific location at a specific time, you know, and you can you can plot that time on a timeline and you can go to those locations even today so there's a certain grittiness to uh to christian history history is part of what we are who we are and so we can go to these places and we can stand where the saints stood we could we could we could stand where the where the martyrs fell and where they died and uh and we can venerate that ground as holy made holy by the blood of the martyrs so who would be some important figures in the history of Christianity who have really helped us understand pilgrimage the way that we do today? Well, uh, you know, that's an interesting question. I, I would say that some of the early fathers uh, really give witness to the importance of pilgrimage in their time. Justin Martyr talks about how pilgrims uh, flocked to Palestine to visit the sites associated with our Lord's life, with his birth, with his ministry with his death and resurrection. So this is already happening during the childhood of Justin Martyr, which would be around 100 AD. It's already become something something very important in the life of Christians uh, very soon after our Lord's ascension. And this is a time when Christianity is illegal, when it's a capital crime to practice the faith. So people really took on a lot of risk to go there. So I'd say, you know, the early fathers who made pilgrimage, they... Uh, they 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 give us important information about about Christian attitudes toward the practice, even as early as the first generation after our Lord's ascension. Well, that brings up another question that sometimes people have. Uh, you know, so, so we we look back at at the events of Scripture and we say, "Oh, that was so long ago." And you know, people claim to know where this happened, but you know, there's it's just a guess. You know, who could possibly know where these things actually happened? But if people were making pilgrimages to these sites from the very beginning, I mean, it's not like it's not like we'll forget where Valley Forge is, <laughs> right? No, As Americans, no. it's not like we're going to forget, uh, you know, where Fort Sumter is or some of these major sites in our own nation's history. We remember those. Why wouldn't the earliest Christians remember the most important thing to them in the history of civilization? Yes, and 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 uh, and and you know they took care to preserve that memory and to pass it on to the the next generation. And there was never a time when people were there was never a time when people weren't going to 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 Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, to to honor our Lord in the place of his birth, in the place of of his death and resurrection. This has been happening since the very beginning. Justin shows us that, but others do too. You know, we find Melito of Sardis in the middle of the 100s taking the time to go from what is now Turkey um, to to the Holy Land so he can make that pilgrimage. And and it continu- 
it continues through the next generation and through the next century. Uh, in in the fourth century, we see some major figures appearing. One is, you know, perhaps the greatest pilgrim of all time and the founder of the field of archaeology, and that is uh, the Empress Helena, the mother of uh, of Constantine. And she went to the Holy Land, and she, you know, talked to the Christians there. She found out what were the traditional sites associated with the events of our Lord's life. And she had basilicas built on those sites, so they would never be forgotten. And those basilicas, many of them still stand, or at least partially stand, uh, to our own day. So they remain monuments to to the knowledge of the Christians in those early generations. The other person who really popularized pilgrimage was St. Jerome uh, in the late 4th century, the early 5th century. He talked about the pilgrims um, who who came to Bethlehem where he lived and, and to other sites of the Holy Land. Um, and he encouraged others in the West to come eastward to visit these sites and uh, laid out a rough itinerary for them so that... Um, so that they would know what to look for when they got there. And he did, He held up St. Paula, his companion and his associate and his scholarship, as the ideal pilgrim. And he described what she did at the sites. And so he kind of gave a guidebook for pilgrims in his letters uh, so that uh, they would know what to do when they got there. Uh, these figures, for me, are the, are the giants of the promotion of pilgrimage as a pious practice uh, for all ages. Well, thanks so much, Mike Aquilina from fathersofthechurch.com. Head on over there. Mike's got some great summer reading options if you're uh, this far into the summer and haven't picked any yet. Again, sunrisemorningshow.com. Joseph Pierce joins us next, plus headlines with Anna Mitchell. It's a quarter till. Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Do you use a single-brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN podcasts are the perfect companion for busy Catholics everywhere. Your favorite EWTN programs are waiting for you to listen to on your time. With on-demand access to audio, you can pause and pick up right where you left off, anytime, anywhere. Just subscribe by using your mobile device's free podcast app. Find old favorites or discover something new. EWTN Podcasts, they're waiting for you. 
today on More to Life. I love you, but... Spouse driving you nuts? We've got solutions to those annoying habits. That's today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 13 till. Here's Anna with headlines. Punishing heat wave across the southwest is showing no signs of letting up. Pro-life leaders are condemning a judge's decision to block Iowa's new heartbeat law from going into effect. And the Patriarch of Baghdad has announced he's moving to Kurdistan. Next newscast in about 14 minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 12 till. Joseph Pierce back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Currently the St. John Henry Newman Visiting Chair of Catholic Studies at Thomas More College in Merrimack, New Hampshire. He edits the St. Austin Review, and you can join his inner sanctum and support his work at his site, jpierce.co. We've been going through his book, Faith of Our Fathers, A History of True England. Joseph, welcome back. It's good to be back, Anna. So we have been talking about the dissolution of the monasteries under the reign of King Henry VIII, some forcibly taken, others uh, given up voluntarily, albeit under intense pressure. What was the impact of all of this on on the city of London? Yes, yeah, so basically, you know, London's obviously then, as now is the capital city, the hub, uh, of uh, political power, but it was also very much a hub of of the religious life of England. And um, you know, there, there were dozens of religious houses in London uh, at the time of the dissolution of the monasteries. And uh, it's interesting, actually, that Simon Jenkins, who wrote a, a book on the history of, of London, uh, who's, you know, as far as I'm aware, not a Catholic or even religious, you know, he, he saw quite clearly, um, you know, what what was the spirit behind this, or the, the um, when he said. Almost overnight, the city and its surrounding land saw a transfer of ownership and wealth on a scale not witnessed even during the Norman Conquest. And the vast bulk of this property passed to aristocrats, merchants, and cronies of the monarch. And, you know, that's not a Catholic historian. That's a secular historian. So what we basically see here is uh, the stripping of the religious life of the city of London, turning it overnight into basically uh, a hardcore, av- a hardcore center of avarice, and then you know the basis of uh, of that secularization of England and the secularization of economics and politics that would make England the leader, if you like, uh, in the 18th century. After this, who were some of the cronies who benefited from this? Well, you know, basically, uh, we, 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 Henry VIII himself, sure. <laughs> you know, he he um, he, he awarded himself uh, uh, property that belonged to the church, including Cardinal Wolsey's own uh, uh, home. Hampton Court, the royal palace, was taken from the church and became uh, Henry VIII's. But yeah, Edward Seymour, who's got to be Henry's future brother-in-law for a short time, He's given lots of land, various other aristocrats, the Duke of Norfolk, the Earl of Bedford, the Earl of Dorset. And Thomas Audley, um, uh, again, he, he, his main house was very close to where I grew up as a child, Audley End. Um, but he was, uh, he was the person who actually uh, was the judge at the, the outrageous trial of St. Thomas More, which we discussed uh, a week or two back. Mm. So this cynical judge who absolutely made sure there was no justice, you know, he was uh, rewarded for, 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 for that act of uh, 
gross miscarriage of justice by, by also being given the Trinity, Holy Trinity Priory all day, which is right in the centre of London. And he was given that. Um, and, and, and he's the person that actually took over as Lord Chancellor from St. Thomas More. So we see the sort of people that, that were, were, were benefiting uh, as, uh, as the monasteries were closed down in London. What happened to the monks and nuns who had their homes taken away from them? They were, un- I mean, obviously, that we, we discussed last week the martyrs that, 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 that were put to death for refusing to cooperate. But, but for the most part, they, they were just literally made homeless. They were, they were thrown out of the, of the religious houses. Um, and presumably those that had families returned to their families. Um, but you know, many, many former religious uh, uh, were ending up as beggars on the street. And there were many other beggars on the street that were re- relying on the monasteries because the monasteries were... Uh, the places where where the poor uh, uh, and widows and the homeless could find succor, could actually find charity. So, of course, when these when these uh, monasteries disappear, uh, the number of beggars in England, uh, including you know, homeless uh, religious, um, increases exponentially. Hmm. I want to talk about that more in in just a moment. You mentioned specifically in the book Elizabeth Hoth. Can you tell us about her? Uh, yes, yeah, so she she was she was uh, the prioress of of a convent in Thetford in Norfolk, um, and again that's the part of England where, where I lived before moving here, so I know it well. Uh, and you know, she was discovered decades later uh, living in Norwich, which is also in Norfolk, uh, about, about forty or fifty miles from Thetford, on, on on a really measly pension of five pounds a year, but still you know a hundred years old at this point. And uh, the report of her that she had nothing to live on live upon but the same pension and is reputed a good and Catholic woman. Mm. So you have this woman basically reduced to to penury, living uh, you know, a life uh, alone, but still trying as far as possible to keep to the vows that, that, that uh, Henry VIII had, had done his best to strip from her. You mentioned the effect of all of this on the poor. I mean, this is certainly an instance where the rich got richer and the poor got poorer. Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what it was. It was Henry VIII uh, and anybody who who, who uh, lacked any spirit of Christian justice, who just wanted to enrich themselves at the expense of the people and the church, that, that, that they got richer. And of course, those sorts of people are not going to be very kind or charitable landlords. They're the people that, that now own the land that was once owned by the church. So, you know, again, I quote various Protestant historians who, you know, who, who admit that it was much better for the people to have the church as a landlord than to actually have these avaricious new aristocrats, you know, even more powerful aristocrats as their new landlords. And the number of beggars increased. And how did how did Henry's government respond? Basically, you got you, you deal with the beggars that, that they had they had caused this increase in beggars by punishing them by punishing the beggars. You know, this included cutting off their ears for a first offence for begging, yes. and, and that showed that you had a first offence. You're cutting off the ear. So if you if you're caught begging again, you already have your ear cut off. They, you would be put to death. That was that was the way that the Henry VIII's government handed, handled charity, shall we say, looking after the poor after they destroyed the only places that would, these poor people could actually go to. That's downright Dickensian, Joseph. Yes, exactly. Dickensian, I would even say worse. It's the decadent Dickensian. Wow. Well, it makes you wonder, actually, you know, the attitude toward the poor in England, I guess, must have uh, that that we see so illuminated in Dickensian literature probably had its start here where uh, when the church was replaced by the state. 
Exactly. Basically, what we, what happened is that the, 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 the ruling class in England chose cynicism and self-serving pride over, self, over serving others in charity, which is, of course, what we're all called to do as Christians. That set the tone, basically, for, for politics in England. And we see that playing itself out over the next few hundred years. You know, and as you say, uh, being manifest in London, uh, in Dickensian London, in the, in the Victorian era, as we see in Dickens's novels. Wow. Thank you so much, Joseph Pierce. You can read more about the dissolution of the monasteries and all of English history in his book, Faith of Our Fathers, from Ignatius Press. And you can find Joseph linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. Matt, did you ever think about it that way? I mean, the, the dissolution of the monasteries, I mean, you can really draw a line straight from that to... Dickensian England and the treatment of the poor. It's amazing. Well, I mean, what do the monks do uh, except establish infrastructure <laughs> when there right. is no infrastructure? You see this more on the continent, uh, even, and especially than you do in England. I mean, how depressing. You find that uh, the monasteries start going away and suddenly not as many people know how to read, mm-hmm. especially women. Yeah, female literacy declines insanely after uh, people stop nurturing the convents. Yeah. Well, we got another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up here in just a little bit. After the break, please do stay with us if you can. It's three minutes before the hour. Dot com. It is Tuesday, the 18th of July, the Feast of St. Camillus de Lellis. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, make us one in mind and heart. We pray for all the church in the midst of difference and diversity. We pray for all who believe in your name in the midst of our divisions. We pray for all who live in opposition to one another in the midst of our conflicts and misunderstandings. Make us one in mind and heart. O God, you are one God in three persons, and you have made us in your image. Bring us into the unity for which Christ lived and prayed and died, that we may give glory to your name through him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Camillus de Lellis, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We're glad that you're listening, however you happen to be listening this morning. It is the Feast of St. Camillus de Lillis, who uh, devoted himself to uh, being a caregiver and founding a religious order, the Camillians of Caregivers. And today we're going to talk with Father Frank Donio about accompanying the elderly and caregivers. Father Rob Jack will join us as well. Also, Steve Ray on Friends and Enemies of God in the Bible. Chris McGregor will join us also from Discerning Hearts to dig into the Office of Readings and what St. Gregory the Great had to say about St. Mary Magdalene. Of course, Mary Magdalene is one of the great saints we celebrate in the month of July. 
Right now, it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. A dangerous heat wave being felt across the southwest is showing no signs of letting up. Phoenix hit 110 degrees yesterday for a record-tying 18th consecutive day. Temperatures of at least 115 degrees are in the forecast for the next several days. Meantime, tens of millions of other Americans across several states are under heat advisories, including in California and Nevada. Forecasters say record-breaking heat is expected through the middle of the week, at least from Texas to the lower Mississippi Valley. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine continues his mission in the United States today. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports. The Archbishop of Bologna and President of the Italian Bishops' Conference is accompanied by an official of the Vatican Secretariat of State. The visit to the U.S. Capitol is taking place from the 17th of July to the 19th and comes on the heels of Cardinal Zuppi's previous visit to Kiev and Moscow. Pope Francis appointed the Italian Cardinal as his special envoy in early June, entrusting him with the mission to open paths for dialogue and to seek peace in war-torn Ukraine. The Holy See Press Office statement released on Monday said the purpose of Cardinal Zuppi's visit to Washington is to promote peace in Ukraine. The visit seeks to facilitate the exchange of ideas and opinions regarding the current tragic situation, as well as to provide support for humanitarian initiatives aimed at alleviating the suffering of the most vulnerable people, particularly children, according to the statement. Cardinal Zuppi visited the Ukrainian capital Kiev on the 5th and 6th of June, where he met with President Volodymyr Zelensky and several other high-level officials. The Cardinal then travelled to Moscow on the 28th to the 30th of June, where he met with a foreign policy representative and Russia's Children's Rights Commissioner. Cardinal Zuppi also met with Patriarch Kirill of Moscow and All Russia and discussed humanitarian initiatives that could foster peace in Ukraine. Speaking after the visit of Moscow, Cardinal Zuppi said the priority is to work for those who are most disadvantaged. The children must be able to return to Ukraine, he told reporters. Thus, the next step will be first to check on the children and then to see how to get them back, starting with the most fragile ones. Upon returning from his mission to Kiev and Moscow, Cardinal Zuppi met with Pope Francis to update him on the results of his peace mission in the Pope's name. I'm Francesca Merlo. Meanwhile, the White House is condemning Russia's decision to pull out of a grain deal with Ukraine. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby called the move dangerous, arguing it will exacerbate food scarcity and harm millions of vulnerable people around the world. The Black Sea Grain Initiative allows Ukrainian agricultural products to pass through the Black Sea without Russian interference Ukraine supplies 10% of the world's wheat market. Israeli President Isaac Herzog is headed to Washington for a meeting today with President Biden. He'll also be addressing a joint meeting of Congress. Biden yesterday also invited Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to the U.S. for an official visit later this year. The Patriarch of Baghdad has announced he's moving to Kurdistan. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Cardinal Luis Rafael Sacco, the Patriarch of Babylonia of the Chaldeans, has publicly announced his intention to retire from his patriarchal see in Baghdad and move to a monastery in Iraqi Kurdistan. His announcement follows the decision made by the President of Iraq to revoke a decree passed in 2013 recognizing Cardinal Sacco as Patriarch of the Chaldean Church. 
The revocation is unprecedented in Iraq's history, the cardinal stressed, and highlighted the government's silence about the incident and the suffering of the Iraqi Christian community. I'm Devin Watkins. And it is costing more than ever for parents to raise a toddler in the nation's capital. Daycare now tops $24,000 a year, making D.C. the most expensive place. A recent study shows that 73% of a single mother's income with most having to pay just to put her child on a wait list. Home-based care is slightly cheaper at just 19000 So you know how they say, you know, pro-lifers, if you really cared about kids after they were born, you would fix things like this. I'm all about fixing things like this. I am all about fixing problem. things like this. This is a problem. I mean, you look at that kind of number. Yeah. I mean, women you are going to— get two jobs just so you can work. Mm-hmm. Which means you have to have more daycare. It's a bad loop. It is. It's a bad loop. It's and it's loop. driven by the fact that everything is more expensive around here than it should be. Mm-hmm. Because when the rest of the world hits a recession, D.C. doesn't feel the recession because D.C. gets your tax money no matter how mm-hmm. they're performing. And sadly, they don't get their pay docked when they do a bad job. And sadly, um, D.C. and lawmakers would much prefer to say, I know how you can handle this, women. Never have babies. Never have babies. Yeah. Get an abortion. You know, this Which is. Which I've lived around here long enough to know that, uh, yeah, people don't get married and have babies around here. Yeah. Well, if they have, if they're married and have babies, it's because they, they did that somewhere else and then they moved here for work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. What a sad, sad state of affairs. We gotta, we gotta work on this, pro-lifers. Today is Tuesday, July the 18th. As Matt said, the Feast of St. Camillus de Lellis. Pray for us. Also, the Feast of St. Frederick of Utrecht. So I would like to wish a buono nomastico to my three-year-old Freddie. We'll go get ice cream or something today. He'll be thrilled about that. (laughs) It's eight past. Joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Frank Donio from the Catholic Apostolate Center. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Anna. So we're continuing to unpack the recommendations for accompaniment within the pastoral framework for marriage and family life that we've been discussing for a number of weeks now. And today we are going to discuss the accompaniment of grandparents and the elderly and caregivers. And I find this to be a rather appropriate conversation as this month we celebrate the World Day of Grandparents and the Elderly um, in conjunction with the Feast of Saints Joachim and Anne, who are the grandparents of Jesus. So, Father, you know, they're they're human beings and therefore have an inherent dignity that we need to respect. But the church has a deeper appreciation of the elderly, don't you think? Yes. And in fact, the grandparents and the elderly are what the church calls a, a vital link in the relationship between generations by passing on their faith, traditions, and wisdom. I had the luxury of having grandparents in my life, particularly my grandmothers, for many years in my upbringing. And that is often not the case for a number of of people because of people moving here and there for work and for other opportunities. There's 
there's not the extended family in a number of instances. And and so the, some of that doesn't occur in the way that it once did, although I, I do see a great deal of it with the young people I work with at the college level, because often they're the ones when they're searching out their faith more deeply, they look toward their elderly relatives as the examples. Yeah. So in what ways can a parish support and accompany its elderly members? Well, loneliness, in, in interestingly enough, the younger generations and the elder generations are the ones that are, are most dealing with loneliness. And what happens is sometimes elderly people, particularly those who are in care facilities, are sometimes not only just there and lonely, but ignored, abandoned, or even rejected. And the church is, is calling on the whole of the church, not just simply the family members, but the parish community, the pastoral staff, the clergy, to really focus in on how are we being present, but also how, not only being present, but how are the elderly members of the community engaged in this transmission of the faith because often their faith is is very deep, is very abiding, and their witness of faith is tremendous over many different things that have occurred in their lives. Yeah. So much that that can be done in terms of outreach, don't you think? Yes. For example, uh, for those who are able to do it, the elderly grandparents could become more engaged in Catholic schools or in religious education. Maybe there are some intergenerational gatherings. Many times people will go in ho- at holiday times to care facilities. But what about other times of the year? What are, what are some of the regular ways in which we can, can reach out? Also, uh, people who, who, are, who are elderly but are more, more able, more able to travel a bit around, to, to be those who visit the homebound mm-hmm. and and be able to spend time with them or or bring them the uh, the Eucharist. There are all various opportunities that are there that the parish could organize. Yeah. And what about caregivers, Father? What does what does this pastoral framework have to say about them? Well caregivers, it, this is something that in fact this is something that recently I, I've been I've had to work with uh, because of an elderly member of my own community that I've been doing some care for. And it, it really ga- has given me even more of an appreciation of those who are, who are engaged in caregiving, uh, of those who are, are ill, or maybe they have had, uh, they have some kind of disability, maybe there's some mental illness, whatever it might be. But that is a great deal of stress and strain. And, and so there's a lot of demands, emotional, physical, spiritual, on the caregiver from what this pastoral framework is, is talking about. And so what are the ways in which we can offer not only uh, around the sacraments, of course, anointing of the sick and prayer, regular prayer, those visits that I was talking about a little earlier, but also how we, we go about things from our moral tradition. And sometimes, you know, there are very particular decisions people have to make 
that are very difficult, but what are the ones that are according to our Catholic moral tradition? And so we can engage in that. But also, what are the ways in which the, the parish community can be present to those who are in an ongoing way through prayer, through maybe some small groups of support groups, maybe some workshops to address caregiving. In my work with the Conference of Major Superiors of Men, for example, we have uh, a, a summit, if you will, about elder care, because so many of mm -hmm. our, our religious men are, are elderly, and how are we caring for them? How are we assisting them? So parishes can also do this because more and more people are living to, to greater and advanced ages, but often they may well need care. Mm -hmm. And that does, the caregiver needs assistance uh, in, a, in a particularly that kind of support, spiritual and emotional support as they attend to this reality. Yeah, and I don't want to you know, speak out of turn here, but, um, but I keep thinking of the word compassion right now yes. and the idea of suffering with and yes. and how so many times we want to help but we don't know how to do it and and I was just thinking of it in terms of being a mom father I was I was thinking you know gosh it'd be nice or how much I appreciate when when somebody comes over to help me with the kids so that I can like I don't know take a shower right mm -hmm. and and I feel like the same kind of thing could could be here with caregivers um you know you don't you don't have to have advanced degrees in medicine to, to sit with somebody so that the caregiver can go out and get a cup of coffee or go take a shower or, you know, go to the grocery store. Just just being present for a little while can go a long way in, in helping someone like a caregiver and also help with the whole loneliness issue that you were talking about earlier. Yes. And the parallels to raising uh, to, to raising small children with caregiving of, of a, a sick or elderly member of the family. There's a lot of similarity mm -hmm. because that, that presence needs to be there sometimes all the time. Yeah. And, and it can be really difficult, particularly if you have a, a, an elderly member of the family who is dealing with dementia. Mm -hmm. and, and you can't, just like a toddler, you can't let them out of your sight. Right. And that's a great deal of stress that a person is, is carrying and dealing with. And, and so, yeah, it's the little things, just like you were saying, it's the little things that are important in order to just show how we're present. You know, we have these bereavement groups and so forth in a number of parishes. But what about before that? Really, that's what this pastoral framework is saying. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you so much, Father Frank Donio. You can find the Catholic Apostolate Center linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We got headlines coming up next. It's 17 past. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people, now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? 
God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. Teresa Tamio. Every time I go to Mass and see my husband serving on the altar as a deacon, it hits me how, with God, all things are possible. I mean, there is no way that we should be still married, number one, based on all the problems we had. But number two, the fact that I'm in Catholic media and my husband is a deacon is simply a testimony to the power of God and the teachings of the church that saved our marriage and, more importantly, our souls. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. 19 past. Here's Anna with headlines. A dangerous heat wave being felt across the southwest is showing no signs of letting up. The White House is defending its Pentagon policy to reimburse travel expenses for service members who travel out of state for abortion. And the Patriarch of Baghdad has announced he's moving to Kurdistan. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Uh, Anna Mitchell, it's hard to believe that we are this far through the month of July. More than halfway. And it is uh, it is winding down. You know, the back to school stuff is already out in the mix. But I just uh, want to put the reminder out there, as we do throughout the summer at various points, that your local Catholic radio station counts on donations year round. Mm-hmm. But everybody goes on vacation in the summer. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't made like a little one-time gift, like a little booster gift, or if you already went on your vacation and you didn't spend as much on like shrimp as you thought you would, then please do consider helping your local Catholic radio station out with a summer special donation. That's a good point. Us- yeah, because um, yeah. I know here in in Cincinnati, um, we're experiencing a $40,000 deficit right now. So local yeah. Cincinnati listeners, you could step up. Give us yeah, some help I bet you here could at find Sacred your Heart local Radio. Catholic radio station would be very grateful yeah. if you checked in on them about that. Absolutely. You can give to us at sacredheartradio.com or sunrisemorningshow.com. Check your local station to see how you can give there. It is the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. O come, creator spirit, come, and make within our souls thy home. Supply thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. O gift of God most high, thy name is Comforter, whom we acclaim. The fount of life, the fire of love, the soul's anointing from above. The sevenfold gift of grace is thine, thou finger of the hand divine. The Father's promise true to teach, thy light to every sense impart, pour forth thy love in every heart. Our weakened flesh do thou restore to strength and courage evermore. Drive far away our ghostly foe, thine own abiding peace bestow. If thou dost go before as guide, no evil can our steps betide. Through thee may we the Father learn, and know the Son, and thee discern, who art of both, and thus adore in perfect faith forevermore. Amen. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Henry Steffen. Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Rob Jack, host of Driving Home the Faith on Sacred Heart Radio in Cincinnati. He is a priest of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Father Rob, good morning. Morning, Matt. So when it comes to the Old Testament, a lot of people know Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, David and Goliath, and that's about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah. why do you think it's important for us to really dig into some of the, the more narrative pieces of the Old Testament that might not be as familiar to really get a sense of what God is doing prior to the coming of Christ? Well, the important thing is oftentimes they wonder what it means to say God is personal. Well, God is personal because he is involved in the life of his people. He's not the deist God where he just set things going and let things run on their own. And when you read throughout the Old Testament, I mean, it's a big book. And so the question is that people can get overwhelmed. And they say, well, where do we start? And, of course, I always encourage people to start with the narratives, the stories. And what you find in there is really... How would, how would we put it? I guess the best way to say that uh, the mysteries of God are hiding in plain sight, you know? Well, it's kind of hard to understand uh, the verses that get plucked out and put on inspirational cards and the, uh, you know, the, the things that people quote or, you know, etch into pillows if you don't understand the whole narrative text that surrounds some of these things. And, you know, to be honest, there are lots of um, the stories in the Old Testament where we make cultural references to them and people don't even know the story that it comes from. So, you know, I, there's a, you've, you've listed a few of them here and uh, all three of them are ones that I've heard of people, uh, you know, referencing when they don't even know what the Bible story is. Solomon, you know, and the two mothers disputing over a baby, Jacob's ladder, right? And even, you know, a talking donkey, right? That's These are right. things that like I've heard people reference in like, you know, football commentary and things like that, and people don't even know the stories of them. No, they don't, and that's such an important part of it. I mean, this is how people were taught. I mean, the faith, they would learn these basic Bible stories, and I know last year I was talking with Steve Ray on, on my show, Driving Home the Faith, and we we're saying, Steve, you know, maybe I gave him the idea. He hasn't done it yet, so maybe I can do it myself, is to come up with a little book of maybe 50 Old Testament stories and give their context and what they really mean and how they prepare us. The Old Testament prepares us for Christ. It prepares us for 
salvation. And in many ways, it shows us why we need to be saved. And if we are faithful to God, we see the salvation. Well, you see salvation, yes, but you also see a lot of weird stuff. And I think this is <laughs> this is well, where minute, Matt. Now we're living in the year 2023. Well, we're not seeing true. any weird stuff. It's not going to be weirder than anything that I see walking around Montgomery County, Maryland. But uh, when it comes to some of these stories, I think there's this impression that the Old Testament is like the old, boring part of the Bible, and nothing could be further from the truth. I wonder if you could give us some examples of that. Well, I mean, the three I wanted to look at today, one of the of Solomon and the two, actually, depending on the Bible text, he says the two moms and the two prostitutes, and we all know that story. In other words, why is Solomon wise? What does it mean to say he's wise? And this is a case where it gives an example of when, we're with, when we listen to the Lord and we let him give us wisdom, this is the kind of things that happen. We can see the lies between the truth. And we can save lives, which is exactly what happened with his, the two women, where the, the false mother was willing to let Solomon cut the two in half, you know, cut the one in half. And then uh, and they began to understand he knew, well, obviously, the real mother is the one who gave up the child. And so this is a sense of wisdom. The same with Genesis 28. You know, one of the, the worst things I ever had to do when I was in eighth grade is our uh, – <laughs> For eighth grade graduation, our opening song, Hold On to Your Hat, was Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. Oh, my anyway, goodness. Anyway, now, you know, they, and the, for the reading we had for Mass was Genesis 28, but they had no idea what that was about. I mean, the story there is Jacob's on the lamb. He just stole the birthright, and he's on his way, and he sits and puts his, you know, makes a rock his pillow. And then he sees his visions of angels of God ascending and descending. And at that very spot, he says, this is where God dwells. And so they set up a rock. That rock was anointed, which is telling us this becomes an altar where, where Jacob can really be with the true God. And God then tells Jacob that I will always be with you. And, of course, that image of a rock ties in with a lot of other images. And, and so we see already the privileged place God has for the human race. He comes down to us and personally shares his life to the angels. And, of course, the last one uh, to look at today was the story of Balaam, and Balaam was a prophet up for hire. And so the en enemies of Israel hired Balaam to come and curse and in the process of this, God didn't want him to curse, and God, uh, or Balaam wasn't listening to God. And so this angel shows up on the road, and all of a sudden the donkey keeps going off the road and banging him up against a wall. And he's getting rather upset with that donkey. And he says, why are you doing this, you stupid donkey? He said, listen, you fool, i got an angel in front of me with a sword. I'm trying to save your life. Get off my back. Literally, you know? So we see the humor in this, but we also see who God uses. God will use the most unlikely of creatures, including a stubborn ass, to do what? To save us. Yeah, well, and again, you've got you know, all these stories where the, uh, the wisdom, the message, the, it all comes from God, right? Solomon's That's wisdom right. is not something that Solomon generates. Jacob's ladder, his uh, you know path towards grace and providence, does not come from theophany, Jacob's own smartness, you know? right? That's right. That's right. And same thing with uh, Balaam's, you know, being rescued from death doesn't come from Balaam's own ingenuity and talent. It comes from God intervening in a very strange situation. So that's right. All these, all these show God interacting with His people in history. That's, that's why the Old Testament is so important for us to read, because as you said before, we hear kind of about the stories, but we really never know the real stories. 
Well, thanks so much, Father Rob Jack, for helping us get a sense of some of the real stories and hopefully get us beyond some of the more basic ones that we're most familiar with and used to. You can find Father Rob Jack linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. By the way, if you head over there, you can enter your email address. We'll send you show notes every morning so you can uh, connect with our guests very easily. And usually I add the morning prayers linked in the show notes as well. So you can check those out also. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. A blistering heat wave being felt across the southwest is showing no signs of letting up. Phoenix exceeded 110 degrees yesterday, and that was for a 18th consecutive day, which ties a record in temperatures of at least 115 degrees or in the forecast for the next several days. Meantime, tens of millions of other Americans across several states are under heat advisories today, including California and Nevada. Forecasters say the record-breaking heat is expected at least through the middle of the week from Texas into the lower Mississippi Valley. The Biden administration is defending the Pentagon's policy to reimburse travel expenses for service members who travel out of state for abortion. Mark Mayfield reports. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said the policy is critical as one in five members of the military are women. He said it's the right thing to do for Americans who voluntarily decide to serve. Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville has held up military promotions in protest of the policy. The White House says the holds are impacting military readiness. I'm Mark Mayfield. Pro-life leaders are condemning a judge's decision to block Iowa's new heartbeat law from going into effect. A judge granted the request from abortion providers and the ACLU for a temporary injunction just days after it had been signed into law. Governor Kim Reynolds says the state will appeal this. Adam Schwent from the Susan B. Anthony list released a statement saying, quote, protections for babies with beating hearts are so important to Iowans, lawmakers pass them again in a special session called by Governor Reynolds. The Fetal Heartbeat Act was poised to save thousands of lives from cruel, painful abortions. He said activist judges must stop interfering on behalf of the radical abortion lobby and respect the will of the people, end quote. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Secretariat for Child and Youth Protection has released its annual report, which shows a decline in abuse allegations in 2022. From Vatican Radio, Eduardo Garibaldi reports. In the document preface, U.S. CCB President Archbishop Timothy Broglio described the document as a milestone, accounting of the continued efforts in the Ministry of Protection, Healing and Accompaniment. Archbishop Broglio underlined how the drafting of the report was made possible thanks to the courage and fortitude of our sisters and brothers who were harmed, abused or molested by a trusted clergy member and who made reports and shared their stories. The document registered a total of 1,998 victim survivors who came forward with 2,704 allegations. A total of 16 reports involved the current minors, while all other allegations were made by adults, alleging events that occurred while they were minors. The report also focused on the ongoing work of the Church in continuing the call to ensure the safety of children and vulnerable adults. Specifically, during 2022, over 2.1 million adults and over 2.9 million children and youth were trained in how to identify the warning signs of abuse and how to report those signs. I am Eduardo Giribaldi. 
The Patriarch of Baghdad has announced he's moving to Kurdistan. Vatican News reports Cardinal Louis Sacco has revealed he will retire from the Patriarchal See in Baghdad and move to a church a mission in one of the monasteries of Iraqi Kurdistan. He said so this weekend in the wake of a decision of the president of Iraq to revoke a decree from 2013, recognizing him as Patriarch of the Chaldean Church. Cardinal Sacco said this is unprecedented in Iraq's history. The FDA is giving the go-ahead for a new antibody aimed at protecting children from RSV. Trey Thomas reports. The FDA has okayed the use of the injectable drug Bifortis for at-risk toddlers and infants susceptible to the respiratory illness. It's described as a ready-made antibody that can bind to the virus and stop it from infecting cells. RSV was part of last year's so-called triple-demic, which also included the flu and COVID. I'm Trey Thomas. And Pope Francis today has appointed four new auxiliary bishops for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. The Holy See making the announcement today. All four of them have been working in various capacities already for Archbishop Jose Gomez. That's the news. It's 35 minutes past the hour. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, On what day did the Holy Spirit come down upon the apostles? The Holy Spirit came down upon the apostles ten days after the ascension of our Lord, and the day on which he came down is called Pentecost. Our Lord ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. There, from all eternity, he will reign as king and as the lover who sends his divine love, the Holy Spirit, down upon the world. What a beautiful thought that at Pentecost, the birthday of the church, our Lord did not forget about us. Although he is invisible to us, now he is visible through the Holy Spirit acting in the church. This is a reversal of the Tower of Babel. This is now present God working in us. Mary was with the apostles, and we can say that through the Holy Spirit, she is always working with us and for us as the daughter of the Father, the mother of the Son, and the spouse of the Spirit. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by Steve Ray from CatholicConvert.com, and we've been going through the friends and enemies of God in the Bible, and we're going to talk a lot about the enemies of God in the Bible and what it means to be an enemy of God. But Steve, if you could put a bow on our conversation about friendship with God that we had last time around. Well, thank you, Matt. It's good to be with you today. Um, yes, we 
talked about the friends of God, but I wanted to save this frosting of the cake for today. In the Bible, it's so important to understand how the Old and the New Testament work together, because you really can't understand things in the New Testament, the Gospels and the Epistles, unless you understand the Old. And in the Old Testament, the king had officers. Some of them were warriors, some of them were diplomats and so on. But the number one he had was the mother Queen Mother was the number one office there. He, the, always the mother of the king was the queen. Guess who that represents? Mary. He also had a royal steward, someone who carried his keys and took care of the kingdom for him. And the royal steward, guess who that is in the Bible with Jesus? That's Peter. But there's one that people don't pay much attention to, and it's a title called the Friend of the King. And this was a man who was an intimate friend of the king. He could come into the king's bedchamber and talk to him in the morning before the king even had his coffee. And he would talk to him about anything the king wanted to talk about, what's going to happen that day, problems the king is having. It's just his friend, the guy that he can open his heart to. The friend of the king was an official title of the king's advisor, a royal and intimate friend of the king. Now, Jesus says to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. And with you, if we understand the Old Testament, that immediately should ring a bell. He's saying to them, you are now my advisors. You are now my friends. You are now the ones that I talk to. I, you're not a servant anymore. You don't just work for me. You're not just my disciple that I teach you. Now I'm bringing you right into the very realm of friendship, almost the, the official title of a king having friends. And that then has implications for us as well, because even though that promise or that title was given to the disciples, those who are becoming his friends and his really close associates, he also refers, we also can be seen as the friends, but then it's even better for us. So isn't it? Because it's a, we say our father who art in heaven. So no longer are we servants only, no longer are we just his friends, but we are now his sons. How can you be better friends than to be able to call him daddy? Well, I mean, it's a it's a powerful thing to reflect upon, but, uh, you know, as we transition this conversation into the enemies of God, we know that not every person at that table with Jesus was his friend <laughs> at the end of the day. So, I mean, that seems like a decent place to start Judas as one of the enemies of God. Yeah, and, and you know, Peter danced on the wire, didn't he? Because he, he even denied Jesus, and the others all ran away from him except for John. But yes, Judas, it, it said that at the last uh, supper, at the last meal, then Satan entered into Judas. This was even before the Last Supper there. And he conferred with the chief priests how he might betray Jesus. And then they come together to eat. And there's a lot about when you're eating together in the Bible. It's different than in, here you just eat together. It's no big deal. But in biblical times, when you ate with someone, you went to their home or you were invited to a meal, you became an intimate friend. From that point on, even in Israel today, if I'm invited in Bethlehem, say, somebody invites me to their home, they're saying a whole lot more than we're just going to have you over for dinner. You're coming into our home. We're almost accepting you as family now. So anytime I go back, I can, I can go knock on their door and expect them to take care of me or do things because they've already made me part of the family. Jesus is in invited Judas up into the special meal. He's made him his friend. He's even was one of the ones that said that he would be a friend of God. And yet look what, look what Judas did. He turned his back. Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for him if that man had not even been born. 
That's what Jesus says to Judas at the Last Supper. Obviously, he had become an enemy of God. And woe in the Bible means bad things are going to happen. Woe. Whenever you see woe, it just means hold on to your hat. Something bad's going to happen right now. Woe to that man who the Son of Man is betrayed. And go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, you know, this is the 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 situation regarding Judas. But you mentioned Satan entering Judas uh, in. Luke's gospel, this happens, uh, he, he makes a mention of Satan entering Judas prior to the Passover meal. In John's gospel, Satan enters uh, while eating the Passover meal, which is uh, a really chilling tie to the question that Paul will address later of receiving communion unworthily, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but exactly. either way, we're talking about the most ancient enemy of God here that Judas is cooperating with. Yes, the one that entered into Judas was actually one of the most beautiful creatures God ever created named Lucifer, which means light, the star of the morning, the sun of light. And how you have fallen, O day star, O son of the dawn, Lucifer. He he denied God. He became proud. He wanted to be like God. I think what happened is God says, see those people down on the planet there? You guys are going to be their servants, you angels. And Lucifer says, never, not me. I'm way too beautiful, way too important to I can never go down and serve them. And therefore, God says, well, then if you don't, he said, you will not be allowed into my heaven. You've rebelled against me and your purpose in life. And it says, Jesus, that I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven in Luke chapter 10, verse 8. So Lucifer rebelled against God. He wanted to be as high as God. He wanted to be like God. He didn't want to submit his knee to anything or anybody. And therefore, God kicked him out of heaven. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and a third of the angels fell with him, who are now the evil spirits and demons who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. And that's why we're glad that Jesus came in John, 1 John 3. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He's going after the, the enemy, which is the devil, and he destroyed those works at the cross. Well, and the, the thing that he destroyed that you and I should both be most relieved about is something Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy. Yes. So you, we could ask ourselves, what is the last enemy? Well, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty six. the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Not only is an enemy of God a person, it can also be a thing. Sin became an enemy of God. Death became an enemy of God. And we could ask ourselves, what makes us an enemy of God? This is something we should all pay very close attention to because it comes at us every day. What is it? This is the last question I, I was thinking of here. There's a man who was with Paul. And he said, for Demas, and he had been a very good worker with Paul, but Demas, for love of this present world, has deserted me. His fellow worker has deserted Paul because he loved the present world. And James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with God, I mean, friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the, God, of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So how do we become an enemy of God? By being idolatrous, putting other things first, and making the world, falling in love with the world. That makes yeah. us an enemy of God. And Demas is a good example of that. Even though he understood, he heard Paul preach, he was there for the Eucharist with Paul preaching and presenting the Lord's Supper and everything else, he fell in love with the present world and deserted the gospel and Paul. So we have to be careful that we don't become enemies of God, and the way we do that is by falling in love with the world. 
Well, and in this sense, the the idea of world is meant as worldliness, because if we view the world in the right way, uh, right, and this is also uh, something we see in Scripture, we see it as pointing to God, not blocking us yes. from God. And right. it all depends exactly. on whether we're obsessed with the gift or the giver of all good gifts. Yep. So, yeah, well lots said. to reflect upon well there. Well said, Matt. Well, Steve, well we've got said. CatholicConvert.com linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. I had somebody today ask me, hey, do you know anybody that ever does pilgrimages in the footprints of St. Paul? I was like, uh, do I ever? <laughs> so, next yes. year, October, October of next year, we're doing the full trip. Awesome. Well, CatholicConvert.com, check out where Steve's going. Check out if you can join him. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Matt. All right, 14 till. We're back right after this. I'm Matt Swain, grateful that Visiting Angels underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide to continue living at home rather than a nursing home. Experienced, compassionate caregivers provide assistance in hygiene meals and light housework, and services are provided up to 24 hours per day with caregiver selection before service begins. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. And I wanted to tell you guys how great your show is because uh, I listen to you guys for every, every day for the last past five and a half months. It's because of you guys that I came to the Catholic faith. Now I'm going to church on Sunday for the first time because I just got out yesterday from jail. And I got my mom to go too. And my girlfriend is also going with me. She's willing to give the Catholic faith a try. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Today on More to Life, I love you, but... Spouse driving you nuts? We've got solutions to those annoying habits. That's today on More to Life. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. A blistering heat wave is being felt across the southwest and showing no signs of letting up today through the middle of this week, at least. The Patriarch of Baghdad has announced that he's moving to Kurdistan in the wake of a decision of the President of Iraq to revoke a decree recognizing him as the Patriarch of the Chaldean Church. And the Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine, Cardinal Matteo Zuppi, continues his mission in the United States today. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 till... Chris McGregor back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show from DiscerningHearts.com. Good morning, Chris. 
Good morning, Anna. How are you doing today? I am doing fine. I'm always excited to get to talk to you to unpack a selection from the Office of Readings. And this week, we will be looking at the reading for the July 22nd Feast of St. Mary Magdalene, a homily from Pope St. Gregory the Great. Can you give us an overview of what he had to say? First, thank you so much for doing this. I love St. Mary Magdalene. I know you do, too. How can we not? The Apostle to the Apostles. And here's the the wonderful Gregory the Great, Pope St. Gregory the Great, who writes about her and is commenting on a passage in the Gospel of John that so many of us are familiar with. And uh, But he picks up on a nuance that I think that is so important, that when Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and did not find the Lord's body, she thought that he had been taken away. Okay, we know that part, informs the disciples, and then they come, they look, and then they go home. That's what it says in the scripture. They look, they go, oh, but what does Mary do? Mary stays. She has this longing, this desire to be with the one that she loves, you know, our Lord. It's it's one of those moments that we talked about this before. It's what grief is when you um, when it's a full a full realization of law of love realized, and you desire to be with the one you love. You long for it, and Gregory the Great talks about that. She has this longing, and so she desires it. And she's seeking it, and she perseveres in it. And that's, that's what we are called to, that type of love. Once you have experienced the love of Christ, that kerygma that is often talked about, that, that love and the desire to be with him, you long to be whole again because you want to be with the one that you love. And that's the pull of holiness. That's the pull that we have, to, and that's why our desire to become holy And Gregory the Great opens that up for us. I was so struck by the word persevere in Mm. in the the second paragraph of the selection in the Office of Readings that that her her perseverance outside the tomb when the apostles just kind of go home. You know, like Mm -hmm. almost you, you, you think maybe they just shrug their shoulders and just kind of, you know, just leave. And, and Mary Magdalene was there, and because she was there, because she persevered, she was rewarded. She saw the That's Lord. It. She is. She sought. She was seeking. I mean, even though she, it, it looked, you know, what has happened here, this desire in her heart, this great love, wants to find him. And so she can't leave. She's asking questions. So when Finally, it gets to a point where this, like he talks about, holy desires likewise grow with anticipation. This is hope. She has hope. She, it, it looks pretty bleak. They don't know what's happened. Maybe somebody's, maybe somebody's taking him somewhere, but she has got hope that she's going to find him. She's just not going to walk away. And she's rewarded in that. And so when the Lord encounters her, and, of course, we know the story. She, she doesn't recognize him at first. And he says, woman, and, call, and she still doesn't um, understand who he is. She, she says what she's questing for. Do you know? How do I find him? 
And finally, he says her name. And when the Lord says her name, Mary, it's it became very personal. Oh, it's you, Rabbani, teacher, the one who taught her how to seek, the one who taught her how to persevere. He knew her, and that's the way it is with the Lord with us. He knows each of us by name. And when he calls us, it's very personal. It's not like he's speaking to a large group on a mountainside, but he's speaking to us in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And Gregory brings that forward. And what does Jesus say? Seek and you will find. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what, what Mary Magdalene is rewarded with because she continues to seek him even even in the midst of grief when when it seems like all hope is lost another thing that that struck me here uh chris is is i think gregory and and correct me if i'm wrong but it it Mm -hmm. it seems to me like gregory is setting up mary magdalene as an icon of the church when when he says as david says my soul has thirsted for the living god when shall I come and appear before the face of God? And also in the Song of Songs, he says, the church says, I was wounded by love. And again, my soul is melted with love. And I mean, as you've been saying throughout all of this, we, the church, are called to be like Mary Magdalene. That's it. I mean, at the very heart of it, John, who also would write, uh, and, he, and this is the gospel that Gregory is reflecting on, is on the gospel of John. John will tell us who is God. God is love. So we are created in the image of God, male and female. And so here is Mary Magdalene, part of this image. Our nature is to be beings of love. And so the church, by its very nature, for us to be continually called, we long to be reunited with love to be fully united. And all of us in the church today, that's the, that's the, the great um, sadness right now. Our people are seeking, but they don't know where to go. They, there's a hole. There's an emptiness. There's something. They're not known for who they are. And even now we're creating false selves yeah. because we don't know our identity. And this, as you said, Anna, that it's, it's the church today that, you know, we have to enter into it to orient ourselves towards Christ who's in the center of it, to be re- reunited with that. And Mary is the one who exemplifies that. Here it is, the receptivity of a woman. Um, again, I'm not just, it's not just the feminist nature of it, but it is that receiving that is the church, because the church is a receiver. Yep. And uh, whether you're male or female. Um, and so that's why, that's why the imagery of bridegroom and, and, and bride, the church is the bride yeah. who seeks and longs. And I really want to encourage folks to go read this full piece from Pope St. Gregory the Great for the Feast of St. Mary Magdalene in the Office of Readings. Also encourage you to go read the readings for Mass for the Feast of St. Mary Magdalene, particularly um, the first reading from Song of Songs, Chapter 3, in light of her story that we've just been discussing incredible and we've been talking to chris mcgregor you can find discerninghearts.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com chris thank you thank you Anna. god bless you you too thank you may god bless you and keep you and grant you his peace